everybody, and welcome to another episode of Long Overdue, a Franklin Library podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Andy. And it's just us today. Yeah, it's it's the the dude show or something like that. Yeah, just the dudes. Um, All right, so let's go ahead and get started with our icebreaker. And this one's all about author talks or visits, whatever you want to call them. And if you've ever met a famous author or what is considered famous for you, do you want to get us started? Sure. Yeah, I think that the really probably the first one I ever went to uh, was I did go to see um, an author appearance by Anne Rice, the author of The Vampire Chronicles, the uh, famous vampire books. And um, it was a lot of uh, fun. It was a large uh, crowd. I don't believe uh, it was quite a long time ago. I don't believe she actually spoke and or read. Um, but we did all get in line and get our books signed. And that was really cool to to meet her and say hi. And also to hang out with all the uh, the vampires that had shown up. Um, I think like I had told you, Sam, before, I mean, I probably was wearing some sort of black clothing. But I mean, <laughs> there were people who were head to toe and yeah. heavy uh, eye makeup and, you know, dyed black hair and everything like that so it was pretty uh pretty crazy out there because it was we were lined up outside of the store even so we're out there on wisconsin avenue in milwaukee downtown milwaukee and uh yeah it was it was cool though um although i was a little concerned that maybe that night maybe that hear a little knocking on my (laughs) window or something like that of some vampire taking a liking to me or something so yeah but no that was very cool because she was definitely like one of my still is one of my favorite authors but definitely at that time one of my my real big favorites definitely yeah i have a i have a couple so i was an english major um for my undergraduate degree and um at my school you could have an emphasis and one of them was creative writing and so i did that because it was just taking a couple extra classes which fit into um, my credit load anyway and so I took um, two creative writing classes and then a third writing class and uh, in my second creative writing class we had a couple authors um, like do like a video call um, but we also had a couple come into the local bookshop in town one of which was Ben Percy who we've talked about a bunch of times Uh Um, so I have a couple signed books from Ben Percy um, I actually kind of surprise interviewed him, and, and now that I'm away from that, I'm like, oh, I feel like that was kind of rude to ambush him in the signing <laughs> line. <laughs> um, but it's it's just a really fun experience um, to see an author read their work and talk about it and just answer questions. And um, he talked about when he does readings, he constantly edits his work, even though the book he had read had been published for several months if if not over a year but it was his most recent he still he had a pencil or pen and would like note stuff down as if he was gonna then go and revise it and change it wow (laughs) again um and he said just as a writer like i can't not find those like flaws if i wish i would have phrased this differently or used a different word or like noted something 
Um, oh yeah, and, I would think especially if he's reading from it at the author appearances, he yeah. may come across sections that, mm -hmm. oh, I wish I would have done it a little bit differently. Yeah, and he he was awesome. He has his naturally deep voice but when he does author readings and public appearances he drops it down intentionally like a little bit more um and it's just a very surreal um experience to hear him talk and he was very very nice he waited and signed all the books and was gracious enough to give me my mini interview mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then this leads to um the next author is um Years and years ago, I went to see uh, Michael Perry of Wisconsin author fame talk about um, Montaigne and Barn Boots, which is his um, exploration into philosophy. And uh, I went to a reading at Boswell Books in Milwaukee and it, it, awesome reading. And I was with my dad and we weren't going to wait to get him to sign any of the books, but we had some purchases we wanted to make. And he saw in my hand a book by Ben Percy, his uh, book about writing, and called me over and talked to me about Ben Percy for a little bit, and then did an imitation of Ben Percy's <laughs> deep voice <laughs> um, in like a kind of jokey manner. And, and we just chatted and um, I felt awkward because the line of people waiting to get their books was anxiously looking at us talk. And I felt like I was cutting the line, but... You know, when an author calls you over to chat, you don't just say no. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure all sorts of interactions happen at, at those appearances. So, yeah, you were probably just, everybody was probably just jealous of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, one other one I was going to mention then, too, is uh, I've seen uh, David Sedaris several times, the, mm -hmm. the humor writer. Uh, if our audiences, well, actually, I think I talked about his most recent book on one of our podcasts not that long ago. Yeah. Um, so I went to see him. I've seen him a couple times. And uh, the first time I went to see him, we stayed in line for the book signing then after his performance. And um, the line was very, very long. I think it took us about two hours to get up to the front to where he was. But... He does really spend, you know, several minutes with with everybody who is in line. So it really is worth it uh, if you go to see him. It's it's worth it to see or, or to uh, stand in line. I don't know if I would do that every time if I was going to go see him again. But and I haven't uh, in the subsequent times, but at least once it's kind of fun. And um, I don't remember a lot about what we talked about, but. I had gotten the tickets for my as a birthday gift um, when I turned 49. And for some reason, he, he just became kind of fixated on the number 49 during our conversation. Then I don't know why. I don't know if that was like a good year for him back when he was turned 49 or something or what it was. But he seemed, you know, very, yeah, very just kind of fixed on that. On that number so it's funny yeah. the interactions that you have with him are are interesting and also he's mining the audience too as he's talking to people for material for his books because that's what you know many of the 
essays are about that he writes, you know, the interactions that he sees with or has with other people. Um, most of it's about his family, but there are a lot of other things where he's talking about something that happened to him just out in the world. So I think he's always looking for possible story ideas. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I can't recommend enough going to author talks or visits or even if they're just doing a book signing if you like them because they'll probably chat with you for you know 30 seconds while they're signing your book um just kind of neat to meet the author yeah i mean most of them are free i mean there are times when you um you know maybe have to buy a book mm -hmm. to be admitted but most of the time it's not yeah you know, most local bookstores you can just go to the events and or possibly even at, at a library yes which uh, I don't know. I think we're probably are we kind of near the end of our segment here. Yeah. Okay, so I will mention that we have an author coming to the Franklin Public Library next week on April fourth at uh, six thirty. His name is D. W. Hannigan, and he is the author of a book called The Homefront. He is a Milwaukee area author, and um, the story of The Homefront is about a. Uh, farm wife who must take over the operations of their farm when her abusive husband is called away to fight in World War II. So I think it should be a very interesting uh, event. And if you've never come to see an author or anything like that, it's a good opportunity to do that. Uh, so hopefully we'll see some people from our audience here show up. Yeah, we're yeah we're really excited to see him, and we've had a couple authors yeah. um, come and read from their book and, mm -hmm. and answer some questions. So if you've never done it, come on come on down and just go for it. You don't even need to have read the book; you nope. might just find it interesting and um, take it from yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a very kind of introductory uh, event. Yeah, you don't have to have read the book or be familiar with him or or anything like that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the meat of the podcast and talk about some of our recent reads. Um, so I can start us off okay. and not to bum us out immediately, um, but I read a Frederick Bachman book. Which, oh, okay. If you've read any of his, um, I feel like you just that you that should come with a pack of tissues, all of his books because there's always at least one part where you, where you just want to cry because it's so sad. Hmm. Um, and I'm not doing a very good job of selling his books, um, but he, he I always describe them as very human. They're very rich, and the reason you get sad is because you care about the characters so much, mm -hmm. um, but they're very real stories and I think very relatable for most people that... Maybe you don't relate to all of it. Most of them take place in, I think, Sweden is where he's from. Um, but they're relatable in the family relationships. So um, I'm working my way through all of his books. And the last one I just read is, My Grandmother Asked Me to Tell You She's Sorry, which is a very difficult title to say quickly. Um, but it's about a young girl who is very close with her grandmother and her grandmother passes away, and it um, just kind of talks about the fallout after that of her life. 
Um, and uh, her and her grandmother were kind of kindred spirits. They shared a lot of stories. Um, she's kind of a loner at school, so her grandmother is like her best friend. Um, and they live in the same apartment building um, with a whole host of other characters. Um, and her grandmother would tell her stories from the land of Almost Awake, which is kind of like her bedtime stories. And her grandmother would just tell her different stories um, from that land um, and different lands within it, um, different characters. And that's a running theme throughout the book. Um, and when her grandmother passes away, she kind of feels directionless. She's seven, oh, about to turn eight years old. Um, so she's having a really difficult time, but her grandmother has set up a quest for her and has letters for her to deliver to people. And um, they're all people who live in the apartment building. And so while she's doing this, she's learning more about who her grandmother was, who the other people living in her apartment are, their backstories, and as well as her uh, mother's uh, backstory and kind of life. Um, it can get pretty sad, but it's also pretty heartwarming. Um, and I, re I really recommend his books. I've read a few of them, including Brit, Mo Brit Marie Was Here and A Man Called Uva, which uh, the American film A Man Called Otto is an adaptation of that book. Um, and both of those two have very, very sad parts, but are also very heartwarming um, in parts. So like I said, have, have tissues at the ready uh, because you may not see the sad parts coming. Yeah, I uh, don't have a lot of familiarity with Frederick Bachman, aside from um, as a librarian uh, taking requests for his books. Yes. Um, I mean, I haven't read any of them, even though it's not that I don't want to. I, I do think they sound really interesting, um, especially the grandmother one. I know that uh, mm -hmm. either one or both of our book discussion groups here at the library have read that, and they've read other books, too. I, I know uh, a man called Uwe, for sure, they've both read, I think. And so, yeah, he's kind of a perennial on our lists of for the book discussion groups and mm -hmm. definitely a, a very popular author that people uh, follow closely. I think every time a new book uh, by him comes out, it's it's almost immediately popular and mm -hmm. in demand. Um, so, yeah, so I'll have to check one of them out sometime because uh, they do sound like they're very interesting stories. Yeah, if you like kind of that realistic fiction or, like I said, like very human stories, um, I'd recommend recommend his. A Man Called Uva is, is very, very good. That was one of his books that made him very, very popular in the United mm -hmm. States. Um, and, and there's a reason why. Mm -hmm. um, they're very well written and just, I don't know, you connect with them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Andy, what do you got? Well, let's see. This. Uh, I got a couple here. So the first one I'm going to talk about is kind of a um, interesting book. It's not one that maybe you would uh, even think exists, but um, it's by the popular author Nick Hornby. Uh, he's a British writer, uh, author of High Fidelity, About a Boy, Fever Pitch. Uh, all those were made into movies. Um, which people might be familiar with. 
Uh, and he has uh, put out a book called Dickens and Prince, A Particular Kind of Genius. So he in this book, he kind of talks about the parallels between Charles Dickens and Prince as far as their um, artistry and their lives. And uh, it may seem like kind of a unusual combination at first, but there there definitely are some uh, some parallels uh, between the two. And um, it's a very entertaining and light book. It's not, uh, you know, meant to be serious uh, comparative literature type study or anything like that. It, and it's a pretty brief book, too. It's only, you know, it's less than 200 pages. And he's definitely a very big fan of both artists then, too. Mm -hmm. So that, and I think that's who mainly it would appeal to. Like, I I. I'm a fan of Charles Dickens and Prince, like a Cornby. Maybe not as big as a fan as he is, but um, but no, I just thought it was kind of an interesting, uh, interesting combination of people to talk about, and um, and there really are some some similarities to them. Um, so he goes into some details at at points and other times it's uh and there's also a lot of trivia uh and uh interesting stories um i think that uh there really are like i said some parallels that are kind of interesting um for example uh both of them grew up poor but then later became fabulously wealthy mm -hmm. they both had very difficult relationships with their fathers um, they both achieved great success uh, at basically the same age um, basically by their mid-20s so for dickens he had uh, released several books by uh, age 25 including the Pip pickwick papers which was the um his first really big success, and then shortly thereafter, he um, published Oliver Twist. And then for Prince, the same same thing. His One of his really big early successes was his album 1999, and then just a year later, um, Purple Rain came out. So um, they had that kind of similarity, too, where they had really reached almost their peak popularity almost right away in their, mm. their careers. Um, I think one other pretty important similarity between the two of them also is that they really pretty much lived to work. I mean, they were just so, both of them were just so involved in their work. I mean, and they had the capacity to really just pump out creative works like crazy. Um, and they seemed to like that too. I think that's kind of how they chose to live. Um, for example, with Charles Dickens, as I think, you know, we all know, um, most of his books were serialized, so he had um, them come out in in uh, portions, and so I think that that gave him an opportunity to just really, like I said, pump it out. I mean, he you yeah. know got paid by the word, I believe, and mm -hmm. so he just uh, went at it, and um, that suited him very well. And kind of a similar situation with. Prince, uh, one of the problems that he really ran into 
in his career was that his uh, record company really couldn't keep pace with his creative output. And he wanted to just keep keep releasing uh, music and albums and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to do that because they felt that that would impact the sales. And uh, of course, many of us probably are familiar with that period of time when he went by an unpronounceable symbol instead of his name. And that mm -hmm. was all kind of in protest of uh, problems that he was having with his record company. And that was really one of the really big um, contentions between the two of them is just uh, control over his music and his output. Um, yeah, he just wanted to put it out when he's ready to put it out rather than trying to mm -hmm. um, meter it out a little bit. Uh, and hopefully get more out of each one. And then actually they they both um, died at the same age too. Oh, wow. Which is kind of interesting. <laughs> they were both 58 when they passed away. Um, and I think probably somewhat due to uh, health problems that were caused by their uh, work style as well. I mean, I yeah. think that... Um, you know, Charles Dickens, you know, had health problems near the end of his life. And I'm sure a lot of it was not necessarily work. He had a lot of other stuff in his life, too. I think he had 10 or 11 children and oh, wow. <laughs> um, a mistress and yeah. touring America, uh, doing appearances and writing all these books. So um, I'm sure that, that that impacted his health greatly. And then uh, Prince, just because of his performing style, was just so physical um, I think he he did start to have some health problems, and then that led him to um, drug addiction, and mm -hmm. that is what um, what he died from. Uh, but I would say that it's really a fun book, uh, especially like I said, if you're a fan of either artist or both of them, and that's that's kind of who I would recommend it to. But it is pretty light and entertaining. Um, and just kind of fun to think about the two of them together. Definitely. Yeah, you had you had mentioned about um, Dickens getting paid by the word, and that's um, during the time period when he was alive, that's how authors made their money, is they either got paid by the word or the page, and books were serialized. Mm -hmm. So instead of coming out as one large volume, it would come out kind of chapter by chapter right, right. and and publishers would kind of determine how long a book was based on how well it was selling. Mm -hmm. So if, if your book was selling very well, there was all the interest for both parties to keep writing new chapters. It's like almost like a soap opera. Yeah, it was interesting uh, in this in when they were talking about the Pickwick papers, um, I guess the first first early volumes of it or the serial serial parts weren't um doing all that well but mm -hmm. then when he introduced a certain character it all of a sudden just went through the roof and just was like a huge hit yeah and that's like that wouldn't happen today because mm -hmm. part of your book just doesn't come out now and then you can like mm -hmm. adjust and write something that people will like later yeah and it's it's kind of like um comic books or manga they'll release individual chapters uh month by month 
and then they'll publish them in a volume of you know five chapters right. or whatever mm -hmm. and that's similar to how it worked back then is, yeah. is you just come out with chapters and and people would have a, like a subscription mm -hmm. right. to it um and if you were real wealthy or fancy, then you would have somebody bind them together for you oh, and completed, yeah. and then you would have the full folio yeah. um, together in one volume. That was for yeah. Nice. Yeah, the wealthy folks to yeah. be able to afford that. Mm -hmm. um, right, because I think that's, that's, yeah, like you're saying, it was kind of an affordable way for mm -hmm. more common people, I guess, to, say, uh, to be able to afford books. Yeah. You didn't have to just go into a bookstore and buy the whole thing at one time. Right. You might not have $20 to purchase the whole book, but you could spend a dollar a month for mm -hmm. 20 months to right. get it on a like subscription service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Do you want me to do my second book? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. So my second book is Liberation Day by George Saunders. Um, it's a book of short stories, and that's, I think, what uh, George Saunders is probably most known for. Uh, his previous collection, 10th of December, was a big bestseller, uh, kind of his breakout book. But he is also the author of the best-selling and award-winning novel, Lincoln and the Bardo, um, which won the Booker Prize, pretty, mm -hmm. uh, pretty prestigious. Um, I've read 10th of December and then now this newer book. Uh, I've not read Lincoln and the Bardo, but um, he is uh, one of my, I don't know, I would say one of my favorite authors. Uh, 10th of December I thought was just awesome. And this book is also very, very good. Um, many of his stories have kind of a sci-fi or dystopian setting or style. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, many of the ones in this book are uh, are like that. Um, in particular, probably the title story, which is the first story uh, in the book, Liberation Day. And uh, that was my favorite of, of, the, um, of the book. And it takes place in a dystopian world. And the protagonist is a sort of actor who performs for private audiences held at the um, home of the person who writes the pieces. Hmm. So these uh, performance pieces have uh, spoken elements and also music. So there's actors and singers who provide the music. And um, I guess the thing that probably makes them or makes it uh, dystopian is that they are kind of like chained to a wall for the whole time that they are oh. living there and performing. They really are. Wow, didn't that be echo? <laughs> it's, and it's really interesting. I was just uh, reading a little bit about uh, Lincoln and the Bardo, and some people aren't that crazy about that book just because uh, sometimes it's a little bit hard to understand what's going on, and I would say I, that's how mm. I felt at the beginning of this story but then as it went on it was it was uh easier to kind of figure out and it is just kind of like a shock yeah it's like wait a minute yeah uh is he really saying that these people are like attached to this wall yeah 
kind of like hung on this wall <laughs> doing these performances and as you go along it's like yeah yeah they are so i i tried to listen to the audiobook of the lincoln and the bardo uh-huh. and that won a bunch of awards too because yes. they have a full cast of characters oh, okay. that read it sure, sure every character in the book has a voice and they have a lot of famous actors and actresses reading mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on Mm -hmm. because one of the first scenes is a bunch of, I don't know, spirits, I guess, in the um, Bardo, which Mm -hmm. is like a graveyard, talking, but they just have the different voices Mm -hmm. and it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. And I I ended up abandoning that when I first attempted and I haven't gone back, but maybe that's one. Yeah, this is a pretty long short story. It's probably clocks in at about 60 pages or so so yeah so for the first five or ten pages i really was very unsure Mm -hmm. about what was going on so yes the performers are are essentially slaves i mean they don't Mm -hmm. get paid i mean they are taken care of physically and everything like that but they're basically yeah attached to this wall (laughs) and um i it's through some sort of technology, that's kind of how they um, are fed their lines and their songs. I mean, they rehearse mm-hmm. them, but there's you know some sort of thing that the composer does that kind of programs them somewhat. And um, very interesting. Um, and then during, but also, as you might imagine, and this is sci-fi, of course, so... It's not uh, not cool with everybody in the society. Yeah. So during one of the very ambitious new performances that they're doing, uh, it is interrupted by a group of activists or terrorists, whichever way you want to think of them, who want to free the performers. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say what happens, but uh, but it's very interesting. And uh, part of this performance piece takes place during the Battle of the Little Bighorn with the performers portraying cavalry soldiers and Native American warriors. And there's just like a, a lot of really beautiful writing that takes place uh, you know, during the battle. And I would say that George Saunders also is, is similar in that way to um, uh, Bachman in that there is just like this feeling of great humanity in his mm-hmm. writing. And um, this was a... a perfect example of it that that story um another interesting one uh is called sparrow and it's a story about a kind of a plain young woman living in a small town who finally finds love with her co-worker at a small store um she's regarded by the townspeople as fragile and insubstantial but through the but she finds inner strength through this relationship and even overcomes this very um, tough lady who's the man's mother and also the owner of the store. So her boss and her her uh, boyfriend's mother. And um, it was just an interesting example of other types of stories that, that yeah. he does then too. It's not, there really isn't anything... Uh, dystopian or anything like that about it um but uh but it's still uh very interesting all all the same and then the last one i was going to talk to or talk about is called ghoul and so we're back to dystopia with this one 
the characters live in an underground amusement park type place or almost like a Westworld type uh, place okay. where there's different sections where the people who live there and work there uh, portray characters from different time periods. So there's a Chicago gangster hideout and Victorian weekend beneath our mother the sea. Uh, wild day out west and 50s sock hop are some of the other names of the different uh sections there interesting and so they're all uh, living and working in these facilities and they are told that at some point or another there will be visitors who come to the um the uh, park but for many many years Many, many years go by and no no one really comes to it. Uh, like I said, it's underground and it's kind of a mystery. Like, what what is happening above ground? They don't know. Yeah. They don't know anything about what happened before people started living in this place. And uh, there are very strict rules about um, how everyone lives. And probably the most important thing is not to rock the boat and ask mm -hmm. questions. And our main character does kind of start to question what's going on. Yeah. And um, and then he meets uh, several other people who are also kind of questioning things. And uh, you, if you get caught, you can get a lot of times you're getting you get turned in by your friends if you're kind of like speaking about things that shouldn't be spoken about. Yeah. And so what they do is they blow a whistle and everybody come kind of gathers <laughs> and they they kick you to death oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> so um that was a very interesting one and i think a, another good example of the type of dystopian things mm -hmm. that that uh, george saunders does yeah um and yeah i like this book a lot um mm -hmm. a really good variety of different types of stories but uh like i said a lot of ones that just like really work for you if you are a fan of his writing though too so yeah that's uh, we always say whenever we talk about short stories one of our favorite things is um it, it's not just one type of story in the mm -hmm. book um and and i mean that depends on the collection but like you said there's some that are very sci-fi some dystopian some that aren't really any type of sci-fi yeah. or dystopian right. Um, so I feel like there's always something for you, mm -hmm. um, and maybe you like that sci-fi and dystopian, mm -hmm. but you mm -hmm. can see his other writing, or maybe you're not a super big fan of that, but there are stories for you, and right. you right. either don't have to commit that much time, or you can just skip mm -hmm. to the next one. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so I have one more, mm -hmm. and then we'll wrap up. So it's The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley. Mm -hmm. Um, so she's also written... Um, the Hunting Party, and The Guest List. And she's uh, one of those authors who puts out, like, the psychological thrillers like Gone Girl mm -hmm. um, and The Girl on the Train, um, mm -hmm. where you kind of don't really know what's going on. You find more about characters as the book goes on, um, and it's all very mysterious. And the basic plot of this is a woman named Jess 
is looking to kind of start over, um, start fresh, maybe move somewhere else. And she is living in uh, the United Kingdom and goes to Paris to visit her brother, Ben. And she had messaged him and he was kind of like not super warm and inviting, but said, yeah, sure, like come stay with me, but it's not the best time. And so she gets there and he's not answering his phone. She has no idea what's happened to him. And she eventually gains access to his apartment and he's nowhere to be found. So it's her solving the mystery of, of where did he go and is he okay? Um, she's talking to all the different people who live in the apartment. And I think it's four floors plus a penthouse. And then they have a groundskeeper um, like maintenance person who lives there as well. So she's talking to all the other occupants and she finds more about them. And as psychological thrillers go, it's a lot more than it appears to be. Um, and she gets kind of wrapped up in this whole big mystery and conspiracy. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, there are a lot of twists and turns and a couple parts where I had to roll my eyes because it's just so improbable. Um, but that's kind of what you get with a psychological thriller mm -hmm. oh, is yeah. there are the improbable parts, um, but it has that, you know, suspense, that mystery. Um, and it's set in Paris, which is a cool setting. And it kind of makes for jarring uh, scenes because in one scene, she's trying to find out if her brother is even still alive or where he might be and then in the next scene she's buying a croissant from a french bakery and talking about how delicious it is um and and it's one of those books which i find most psychological thrillers are where it might be a little hard to get into at first you meet a bunch of characters it's kind of confusing what's happening and then there's a tipping point where you just can't stop reading it until you finish it um, and, and this was definitely one of those. And as it tends to happen, it was late at night that I got to that tipping point. So I stayed up even later just to finish it, to figure out what happened. Cause I, I wouldn't be able to fall asleep if I, you know, left mm -hmm. it hanging. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I think, is this like a, her third book or something like that? Or um, I don't know. I, I think it's her third book. She may have other ones written, yeah. but, um, I've also read The Hunting Party and The yeah. Guest List, which are yeah. two of her other books. So, though, yeah, so those um, three have been very, very popular. Mm -hmm. um, so she's definitely kind of a somewhat new star in this uh, genre. Yes. Or just kind of like yeah. hitting her stride right now. Yeah. Um, and so um, I think they're all set in different places. This one's set in Paris. And I think the guest list is set in Scotland or Ireland. I don't know. The hunting party and the guest list are also set somewhere in that kind of UK, Ireland uh -huh. um, area. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting. The setting always plays an important role. And this mm -hmm. one, it's she doesn't really speak that much French. So uh, it's kind of hard to get stuff done in France without yeah. being able to speak the language or she'll see like a note that's written in French and not really know what it says, things mm. like that. 
Um, my issue with psychological thrillers is just like kind of dystopian sci-fi things. There are only so many ways that they typically go. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's either like some sinister conspiracy, uh, like a cult thing. Mm -hmm. The character is insane and it's all made up in their mind or like, you know, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. one of those things. So either it plays into that predictable outcome or it tries to be subversive and and maybe it works maybe it doesn't but mm -hmm. this is she's one of the good authors that mm -hmm. you know some stuff sticks to kind of that script but mm -hmm. other stuff is definitely inventive and i'd recommend all of her books especially if you like um, books like gone girl or or the girl on the train yeah no it definitely sounds like uh exciting book um so is a pretty fast paced then also or yeah um as, as most psychological thrillers go it kind of has those like peaks and lows sure. where something exciting's happening and you blast through chapter after chapter and mm -hmm. then you can't sustain that so it has right. to slow down and kind of build up to that next point sure um but with most psychological thrillers you kind of get to that penultimate point and and you just read and read and read and read because you can't stop now that you know you know you find out who that person is or you find out you know how these characters are connected or there's some big reveal and need once you know that you have to just finish it oh yeah no it sounds like very very entertaining book for sure yeah definitely was so well, we have quite a quite an array of books yeah. we've talked about, yeah. and yeah, I think that just about does it for our podcast this month. So thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next one. Mm -hmm.